there is a big kind of current at the moment that is trying to push us down the route of greater and greater centralised governance, central bank digital currencies, digital ID, this kind of push towards net zero policy, this attack on farming, all this stuff that's being pushed by governments who are or politicians who are aligned, have been indoctrinated in this kind of like World Economic Forum kind of dogmatic view of how they want the future to be. There's a real problem with people not seeing their dangers because they're kind of blinded by the perceived convenience of this stuff. What would you say if in 10 years' time you wouldn't be able to spend cash? You know, every transaction, every penny that goes in and out of your bank account is going to be monitored by the government and you're not going to be able to have any kind of privacy or um, ability to choose how you spend your money. You know, you're being pushed down this road where you're completely and utterly dependent on the state and dependent on large corporations who are aligned with the state. Before you know it, you can be in a very dangerous situation where you have no kind of recognisable freedom. Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Matt Gubber. Matt is an award-winning CEO and founder of the commercial finance brokerage BizBritain, which has helped fund thousands of UK small businesses. More recently, Matt has become a major voice in the freedom movement in the UK and is now the founder of the International Liberty Forum, which seeks to raise awareness about the ever-increasing power and influence exerted by governments and supranational NGOs. I've known about Matt for a while and wanted to get him on the podcast, but I was waiting till the right time and it ended up not being the right time because... As has happened with several of my other guests previously, as soon as I recorded the episode, he was banned from Twitter. So unfortunately, Matt won't be able to share out the episode. So I'm going to need you guys to help me out with a bit of the footwork there. I really appreciate that Matt has risked a lot in order to be a big voice for freedom. He was already a public figure before 2020 and since then has gone against the grain of most public figures and has been a consistent voice for truth and freedom. If you enjoyed the episode, please give it a like and a share on social media. Let's really get this episode out there and combat the ongoing censorship we're seeing. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, welcome. Give the podcast a subscribe for future episodes. If you want to donate to the podcast, that can be done in two ways. First is via Bitcoin tips, both on-chain and Lightning. Just check the link in the description and you can give a fiat donation with Buy Me A Coffee as well. Tips are hugely appreciated and will go directly towards the cost of running the show. And I want to give a special shout out to my girlfriend as well, who recently bought 10 coffees on Buy Me A Coffee as a birthday gift and also to show her support for the show. She's been a consistent supporter of the podcast since I've started doing this, so I won't share her name here, but I just wanted to know that the support means the world to me. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So uh, I don't know too much about you other than your Twitter presence, which you've obviously got a very big following there and particularly a following amongst the freedom community. But um, yeah, I haven't heard too much about your your background and, and kind of upbringing and, and how you kind of came to be this uh, this voice of the resistance. So why don't you uh, share that a little sure. bit? Sure. So I, I kind of, I'll, I'll start with um, my kind of professional background because that's really the, the key thing that led me into the freedom movement um, as of late. So prior to um, all the, the, the Twitter stuff and the social media stuff, I um, 
founded a financial um, a commercial finance brokerage about 10 years ago. So uh, end of 2012, beginning of 2013. And we do, um, we help small businesses and um, pre-start entrepreneurs secure financing to start a business or to grow a business. So over the last decade, I've kind of been working with lots of small businesses and helped probably about 5,000 small, small um, businesses in various forms now, anything from plumbers and shopkeepers, uh, hairdressers, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff, uh, kind of real grassroots businesses, help them to start up. Um, and then obviously 2020 came along and all the COVID stuff and all the, the kind of business closures, um, and the restrictions. And it's, it kind of just became an all out assault on the people and the businesses that I'd spent the last 10 years <laughs> kind of like putting my heart and soul into helping. Um, and obviously, you know, being a business owner myself as well, it's, you know, it's, there's just all, all sorts of reasons why I just wasn't, you know, happy with what was being done by, you know, our government and other governments around the world and, and the, the kind of tack that was being taken and this kind of, um, you know, no, no consideration for any kind of collateral damage of the, you know, the lockdowns and the, the, the kind of always restrictions that were being placed on people. So that was, that was kind of what got me speaking out, um, originally about, you know, all, all the kind of stuff that we speak about now and the, the, the freedom movement. Um, and obviously that led on to uh, founding something called the International Liberty Forum, which is kind of my attempt to kind of push back against the kind of the wider narrative that's you know been unfolding the globalist narrative with the world economic forum and all that kind of stuff but just to kind of i I suppose give it a bit of punctuation i i think i've always been a rebel um ever since (laughs) ever since i was you know school age and i don't think there's ever been a time where i haven't kind of had a desire to kind of push back against authority and and kind of find ways to kind of live a live a a life that's not uh, i guess a, i suppose one of a better term a free life i've always sought out ways in which i can have control over my own time um and my own my, my comings and goings i'm not i've never been able to you know i've never been one to be able to stick long term with a with a job and that's one of the reasons why i went into starting my own business i couldn't deal with working for other people and being told what to do so i've always had this kind of um burning desire to kind of be <laughs> to be free <laughs> so that that's yeah that's that's kind of a, a bit about my background okay cool so would you consider yourself a libertarian then oh absolutely yeah <clears throat> very much so yeah <laughs> so this is something you've grown up with this isn't something it sounds to me like this isn't something that kind of came out came about purely off the covid stuff it sounds like it, you were already kind of predisposed to that and then you know you obviously just kind of applied that to the latest uh the latest tyranny i guess Absolutely, yeah, very much so. I think if I, I suppose if I had to try and trace back to like where where this kind of mindset started with me, I think it was probably when I was about twelve. I, I um, basically I got hit by a car. Um, I went. I was on my way. <laughs> random story, but I was on my way to school, and at that time I was quite you know I was always quite worried about being well behaved and being on time. I went to quite a strict boys' school, um, and. I was effectively like rushing, um, so I was worried about being late and um, ran across the road um, without looking properly and just got wiped out, completely wiped out by a car that was going at reasonable speed. And um, it wasn't just like a a tap and you fall over and get up. I was, you know, knocked unconscious, broke my leg, broke a uh, cracked a vertebrae in my neck, had to go and, you know, an ambulance. It was quite a serious 
thing. And I was told that if I'd stepped out maybe a second sooner, I probably would have died. And I think ever since then, it kind of changed my mindset a lot. And I always just taken the attitude that I won't, I kind of, <laughs> from that point onwards, I kind of refused to rush for anyone or be kind of, you know, be put under pressure by anyone because it kind of just showed like how fragile life was in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I kind of decided from that point, I very much kind of wanted to live life on my terms. Wow. That's really interesting. Cause yeah, I think that most people, um, wouldn't have such a defined moment for where they kind of like, I guess, change their, their ideology or something. But yeah, I can yeah. Com- completely understand that, you know, an event like that would definitely make you think, you know, you're, you're rushing to get to school on someone else's clock. You know, they have the authority over you and an event like that just makes you think, why am I, you know, this wasn't important enough for me to risk my life, but I felt like I needed to, I guess that just gives you a shake and, you know, makes you think like, like just obeying authority, you know, is a, is a deadly thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I still, I can still remember like lying, uh, like alone in the hospital, like with sandbags tied to either side of my head, um, <clears throat> and having like cuts all over my body and stuff and thinking, why was I so worried about being two minutes late to school? <laughs> you know, was it worth this? And it's, it's, yeah, it's quite a, quite a bizarre thing to look back on actually. But, um, yeah, I think it really, and that's what it really comes down to. Like I, I just, I, I don't, I could never now, put myself in a position where I'd like you say, risk my life or, or cause you don't realize you are, I didn't realize I was at the time, but effectively that's what I was doing. I was risking my life to kind of like comply with someone else's authority and, and, and never again. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So you've kind of come very much into prominence with uh, everything going on around COVID. How did that, uh, how did that story kind of start for you or, or were you already kind of big on Twitter and stuff before that? Because I think that's when I started following you, but I, I don't know whether you already had quite a following before this uh, this whole thing kicked off. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I've been using Twitter since 2010, I think. Um, okay. Two, yeah, maybe 2011. So I, I did have, I built a following of of sorts over the kind of um, the, the eight or not eight to 10 years. Uh, I can't remember if it was 2010, 2012, I joined, but I, I yeah, I, I'd say my following probably doubled. So I did have a reasonable following before that. Um, however, it was around about two, it was, it was probably the end of um, 2020. I think it was when the rule, they brought in that the rule of six stuff in the UK, where you're only allowed to <clears throat> mix with six people at a time. And I just, I was already fed up of everything. And I was, I'd kind of been holding my tongue. And because, because in my situation as well, because I already had a following, I had lots of relationships with, you know, um, companies and um, clients and businesses, you kind of worry what they're going to think. Or I was, you know, at the time I was worried about, you know, damaging my business and, and damaging, you know, uh, that kind of side of things. So, So I'd held my tongue, but it was something, I don't know what it was, but something just, kind of snapped in my mind. I said, you know what? I'm just going to start calling all this stuff out online. (laughs) And I saw other people were doing it. And it it felt very lonely at first, to be honest with you. And it's quite a scary thing because you kind of like, you you spent years and years building up a reputation and, you know, building relationships with companies and stuff that you work with. And I did get a lot of pushback and a lot of flack in the beginning you know i i did really did burn a lot of relationships i got people you know getting absolutely um you know inf- infuriated with me questioning this stuff and i was you know being called like all the usual stuff like you know you're a granny killer and you know all this all this absolute vitriol being fired you know thrown at me 
Um, and yeah, and, and it did end a few c- commercial relationships. There are some people now that I just don't deal with anymore because they effectively just completely um, cut off, <laughs> cut off any any dealings with me. But um, the net effect has been very positive. I've you know I think for every relationship lost, I've built you know probably twice as many new relationships. So I think it's been a positive thing. But it yeah, was um yeah. yeah I think I think a lot of people have found the same. To be honest with you, I think there was a there was a point when um. Yeah, there was a there was almost like a tipping point where people started calling it out, wasn't there? It, I think it was kind of like in the latter half of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it was. I think that like really at the beginning or, or even during that kind of first lockdown, I mean, even myself, like, you know, I became, you know, the most ardent anti-lockdown that you could get. But like during <laughs> yeah. that first lockdown, I, I didn't really express too much of a strong opinion about it. I, I wasn't really like no. for or against. My attitude was just kind of like, okay, like we don't know how bad this is going to be, you know, we could have at that point, as far as I was concerned, because I just hadn't really been following it enough, we could have been seeing bodies on the street and everything. And, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to kind of be like really kind of like staking my claim saying, okay, well, this is absolutely wrong. Even though in retrospect, I, I still think that even if it had been way worse than it turned out to be, I still think on principle, I probably should have opposed it in the early days, but I guess I was somewhat reserved. I haven't, I hadn't really sat down and thought about my opinion on it, on it, on everything kind of thoroughly. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think for me, it was when they, it was when they reintroduced masks. It was like, I think that was maybe like late April or May or something. It was kind of coming into the summer and they were like, oh yeah, masks. And it just, something for me was like, okay, this isn't going away now. Like, unless, unless we speak out, it's not going away. They're going to, they're going to try and keep this thing going as long as possible. Um, so Mm. yeah, you're right. Like it did seem to be that kind of like later half. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The mask thing was just crazy, wasn't it? It was almost like everything had kind of died down and they'd got through all the, you know, the, the worst of it or whatever, with according to their numbers, without having any, you know, this nonsense with the mandatory masking. And suddenly they brought it in and it was mandatory and you had to wear, <laughs> you know, it's only you had yeah. to wear a mask. It was just, it was absolutely ludicrous. And I, I yeah, I remember that, that well. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, you know, it's interesting what you were saying about like, um, you know, that, that once you kind of started speaking out, that yeah, you lost a few a few people who you know business relationships and stuff, but then you gained a lot. And you know, I found this is the case for a lot of people, like including myself. Like going through this process of kind of having an opinion and being like, okay, everyone, or not everyone, but like a, a large amount of people, like a majority of people at least at that point, disagree with me and disagree with me. You know, kind of like with with a lot of passion. Basically, it, it did seem like a kind of lonely thing to. It was it felt lonely and it also felt kind of like i guess somewhat of a scary thing to do to kind of just be an outlier like that but you know for me i didn't really hesitate too much about it as soon as i was like okay this is what i believe the truth to be i didn't want to kind of shy away from it i was like okay it's uncomfortable that you know in a in a in a way i'd kind of it'd be nice to be blue pilled and not have to not have to <laughs> yeah. face that um not have to to face dealing yeah. with that truth and living up to it but once you actually kind of go with that sometimes it can be very rewarding and you know i've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast and you know same for me personally, like I've actually found it a, a very rewarding experience kind of going through that. And especially now that the, the rest of the world is kind of catching up in a way, like now it's like everyone kind of knows, every kind of, everyone kind of knows that they were duped, but you know, yeah. hasn't necessarily said it. They've not necessarily kind of like come out and made a big hoo-ha about it, but I think everyone secretly knows like they were duped. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, there are going to be people, let's face it, there are going to be people who will, although although they know deep down that they were duped, they will never admit it. They will stay, they will scream, our oh, lockdowns were great until they're blue in the face. And that's just going to be the way it is. But I, I agree. I think everyone knows 
Now, at this point, that things weren't as they were made out to be. Things were exaggerated. Things were twisted. Um, and yeah, uh, there was a lot of duping, a lot of duping going on. Um, I don't think even the most kind of ardent uh, Covidian, you know, um, masked double masker, whatever you know, want to want to call them, could uh, could <laughs> quite <facts>. could yeah, <laughs> exactly, could deny at this point that everything was as they said. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, but as you say that you know, I guess you know some of us. Um, I, I guess have uh, our minds work differently. It's this. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't remember what the word is for it now. There's a mass formation psychosis. Yes. Um, yeah. Some of us just weren't susceptible to it, were, were we? And I think there's uh, there are, a, a, I guess, a twenty percent or whatever the, the percentage is. I can't remember what the, the numbers were, but some of us mm. just weren't susceptible to to all that. Yeah. What What do you think um, that comes down to? Because I love asking this question. Everyone seems to have a different answer. <laughs> what do I think it comes down to? I don't know really. It's because yeah. it's, it's like it's one of those things, isn't it? Like the, if you look at like hypnosis, some people just aren't susceptible to hypnosis. I don't know whether it's the way that our minds work or whether it's something that's more um, in the way that we've we, not necessarily that we were raised, but in in the way in our you know based on our own experiences of life that's made us more skeptical and made us kind of more. Um, I'd, 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 I'd like to think it's it's it's. Um, it's more of a personality trait, I think, because I, I, th- I think I've always been skeptical, skeptical of stuff. I, I, I don't think that I would have ever been taken in by something like this, um, however young I was. So, I, yeah, I, I think maybe, maybe it's just it's like a, it's like a nature versus nurture thing, isn't it? I think it's more of a nature, an inherent nature. I think my my prevailing kind of belief on it is it's got something to do with. Uh, like being a contrarian, like having contrarianism as part of your personality. There's, I, I think that probably most people, they have some opinion or maybe a collection of opinions that kind of um, go massively against like the mainstream the mainstream in in some way and that people are kind of like okay at holding those opinions like not afraid to hold hold an opinion that most people don't agree with. Um, yeah. This actually, when I was talking, do you know um, Mark Changizi? Yeah, I've come across him, yeah. Right, right, right. I I had a um a conversation with him and I, I explained it to, to him there, but just to kind of like briefly go go over it. This is this is a theory of mine and I don't know whether it's whether whether it's accurate. But you know the um you know that that test they do where they say like, okay, here's two lines and you've got to pick up you've got to like say which line is shorter and they, they do yes. it in like a group and there's one yeah. per, like there's one person who is who's being kind of tricked and everyone else is in on it. Yeah. And they start yeah. giving the wrong answer. My theory yeah. is that like the people who kind of like smelled the bullshit would pass that test as in like yes. they wouldn't be willing to say a lie to fit in with the group but i have no i want someone to run this experiment <laughs> like yeah because like, at the moment like I'm, I'm speaking as if it's truth and it might be total yeah. bullshit but like i, I want to find out if there's something that yeah it'd be really interesting wouldn't it i think um yeah that and that, that's um that's another one as well isn't it i have had, come across that before and is that i don't know if you're familiar with the milgram experiments um yeah yeah, is uh, that the one where they electric shock people? The electric, exactly that. Yes, yeah, so they got yes. so, yeah, they got someone in a in a room um, through through a glass window, and then um, there was a scientist telling the, the telling them to electrocute someone in the next room that they could see. But obviously, it was a fake electric shock. But they kept turning up the voltage and turning up the voltage until the person that was the actor in the other room <laughs> was screaming in pain, and they were still pressing yeah. the button because this guy in the lab coat was telling them to press the button. It's just. It's scary, isn't it? How people will just follow authority or perceived authority without questioning it, yeah. even if they know it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing because you know people throw around terms like you know being red pill before this event, 
And yeah. even I use that, that kind of term, but I never really fully felt what it meant until kind of going through this process. And now I'm like, wow, I can, you know, those kind of experiments that you see and you're like, do people really do that? You know, like, yeah. or previous crazy stuff that's happened, you know, like uh, Maoist China and, you know, Nazi Germany yeah. stuff where, where you see people just, just blindly do, following authority to, you know, like yeah. just going off the ed- edge of a cliff in terms <laughs> yeah. of like following authority. And, um, and now I don't uh, question it in the same way. I don't have the same kind of like, I don't think of those things and go, oh, okay, like how did, how, how could that possibly have, have, have happened? Now I'm like, yeah, I, I get it now. You know, like, um, yeah. I, I kind of can see exactly how that can happen. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of just played out in front of our eyes, hasn't it, over the last couple of years? And it's been it's been quite um, an experience. It's actually been quite scary, I think, to see just how much that is the case and how quickly people will just turn and kind of drop all of their kind of almost like their rational senses and just go along with a narrative like I, I've I, yeah, I find it shocking how compliant the, the average person was. You know, um, yeah, yeah. On 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 all all the different measures, whether it's the masks, the vaccinations. I mean, you know, to to have gone from to have gone from a, a situation where you know wearing a face mask would be ludicrous, like to go into a supermarket. You know, to a point where you were told that. Wearing a dirty, you know, you see these people that had these face masks that had had in their pocket for six months and hadn't been washed and all crusty and disgusting. They put them on their faces, and you and, yeah. and they would genuinely believe that that was going to protect them from getting ill. Um, it's well, just, I'm not sure that they, yeah. I'm not sure that they genuinely believed it. I just think yeah. that they, you know, they needed something on their face to walk through a shop and to to feel that they weren't being looked at or that no one was going to yeah. say anything to them. So they just did it, you know, like because yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that most people they were doing it purely for the compliance reasons. I don't, you know, maybe during that initial kind of lockdown or whatever, but I feel like by the time masks were brought in as like a mandatory thing, most people, they were just doing it for the compliance. That that was really it. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think I think the majority of people, I mean, you're always going to have those those kind of really neurotic um, people who yeah. really did genuinely believe in the masks. But I think, you know, I do agree. I think for the most part, the, you know, it was about compliance. It's a, it was about not wanting to be challenged. Most people I spoke to about it who wore them, who didn't agree with them, it was, you know, it's like I said, why are you doing it? And they would say, well, I don't want to get into an argument with someone in the supermarket or I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to. And that's yeah. what it comes back to. People don't like confrontation, do they? Most people don't yeah. want to get into a confrontation with a stranger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, this is a kind of weird fear, fear that I think everyone has had at some point and even i had it you know like i'm someone who normally doesn't really care that much what people think of me but at the beginning of this whole thing when i was going into shops and i was unmasked and other people were were masked there was i I got a feeling every single time that i was like i'm exposing myself obviously like the more times that i did it uh it kind of became easier and easier and by the end of it i was just like i just don't care anymore but you know i had to kind of overcome a a hurdle there and i think most people they think in their head because they, they don't we don't think rationally, I guess, about like risk and stuff. And especially, you know, something like um, social risk, you know, social pressure and stuff. People think you're going to walk into a, a shop without a mask and they're like, oh, am I going to end up in handcuffs? Am I going to end up in a jail cell? Am I going to end up on the national news? And everyone's going to look at me and say, you know, and I, none of that happens. Like what happens no. is that most people, they at best grumble at you and you ignore them, um, you know, and at, like that's basically it, right? Like yeah, yeah. nothing really happens. The worst that could possibly happen is they try and, you know, tell you to to leave the store or something it's like it's not the end of the world you know your integrity is worth much more than those very very small kind of social events that could happen 
Absolutely that, yeah. And it's so true, isn't it? It's that irrational fear that you're kind of going to be shunned or shamed <laughs> by the, yeah. in, in public. And that's, yeah, I think what it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I was, you know, like yourself, I would go into shops and whatever without wearing a mask and you'd be the only one in there and you'd have like, you know, the old ladies in the, the milk car kind of twitching and looking at you and you, you know, but you <laughs> just, you just, get, <laughs> it's kind of get on with it, don't you? And, um, like you say, nothing happens. No one ever said anything to me. Um, and it, it, it was what it was, but some people just, they just couldn't do that because it's just as it's this, um, yeah, this inbuilt kind of fear of being of being called out or being you know being being shamed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it sounds like uh, it started started for humble humble beginnings for you, but uh, now you've kind of grown to to more prominence and you've got a uh, organization, the Liberty Forum. So I, I guess um, let's talk about Liberty Forum for a bit. Like, what's um, what's the objective there, and kind of where are you up to with it? So the objective is very much to raise awareness about so that the, the key, the kind of key one we talk about a lot is the World Economic Forum. Um, but generally, it's very much just to raise awareness about the kind of this, this push towards greater centralization um, and globalist governance. So there is this. Whether it's, whether it's the World Economic Forum, whether it's the UN, whether it's these other, um, supranational NGOs, there is a big kind of current at the moment that is trying to push us down the route of greater and greater, um, centralized governance. So whether that, you know, whatever form that takes, whether it's just at the moment, it's just kind of collaboration between different governments. Uh, you know, we saw the build back better. That was the thing I always like to refer to as build back better. Or we had world leaders from different nations, um, all over the world chanting this kind of slogan in unison. It's very, very creepy. Um, uh, but it was, it's this, it's this dangerous, um, it's this dangerous kind of pull towards this centralized governance. Um, that I'm really trying to raise awareness of. And it's, and, and the, the policies that are being pushed along with it. So things like, um, central bank digital currencies, digital ID, this kind of push towards, um, net zero policy, uh, this attack on kind of, um, farming, all this stuff that's being pushed by, um, Effectively, a, a governments who are or politicians who are aligned have been indoctrinated in this kind of like World Economic Forum um, kind of dogmatic view of how they want the future to be. Um, I, you know, I can see the danger of it. I can see where we're going, and I think there are a lot of people, you know, in our kind of circles in the freedom movement who obviously are very aware of what's happening. But I think you speak to the average person on the street. And they don't, they, you know, they don't know what the World Economic Forum is. They don't know what digital ideas. And you say, you know, you talk about central bank digital currencies, and they kind of look at you like you've got two heads. So, the the objective really is to try and raise awareness of all this stuff, not in a kind of echo chamber of social media, but try and kind of reach the the, the average person on the street and say, look, you know, this is where we're going. You know, what what would you say if in ten years time? Um, you you wouldn't you know you wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to spend cash you know every transaction every penny that goes in and out of your bank account is going to be monitored by the government and you're not going to be able to have any kind of privacy or or, or um, ability to choose how you spend your money you know it, it's it's a, it's a scary um, it's a scary thought but it's reaching um, everyday people and that's really what we're trying to do with it right okay and. Because, you know, obviously like you're very familiar with small businesses and stuff, you work with, you know, small business owners, like 
what what is the average person on the street like outside of our kind of freedom community echo chamber like when you say this stuff to them do they even think that it's a bad thing because like i imagine that most people unless you have really dug into like the actual ramifications of this stuff if you tell them oh um you know everything everyone's going to be using central bank digital currencies and you know everything's going to be digital they'll be like okay that's way more convenient i you know it annoys me using cash i don't like using the cash register or whatever like do, do you find that people recognize the risks without having to kind of go down the rabbit hole well that's one of the big challenges um there is a huge amount of apathy and there is a huge yeah there is <clears throat> there's a real problem with people not seeing the dangers because they're so um they're kind of blinded by the, the perceived convenience of this stuff um and it, that that's that's kind of the hard point that we need to get over and it is about explaining to people why it's dangerous. Why um, having a digital ID linked to a central bank digital currency? You know, what does that actually mean? It's not just be able to walk into a shop and have um, the, the, a computer scan your face and deduct money from your bank account. It, it, you know, it's not. It's not. As, uh, it's not just about the convenience. It's about the. It's about the implications of what that actually means and what happens when. Um, you know, central bank digital currencies are made programmable or your money is given an expiry date. So you only have a month to spend it after you're paid. So you're, you're put into, you, you know, you're being pushed down this road where you're completely and utterly dependent on the state and dependent on um, large corporations who are aligned with the state. And you, uh, you uh, before you know it, you can be in a very dangerous situation where you're, you have no kind of recognizable freedom. Um, and yeah, it's, it's getting people to recognize that. That's the challenge. <laughs> Yeah. And are you finding that like people do recognize it or do you have to sit them down and say, Hey, you know, like th this, this basically means that if you do something bad or you say something bad on Twitter, like, you know, that all yeah. of a sudden the government's going to say, sorry, you don't have your, your UBI for this week or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, I think you kind of get two responses. You get, some, you get some people who do actually, when you kind of speak to them about it, they, they make, they think about it and think, yeah, you know, that, that, and you can see the cogs turning and you can see them kind of uh, registering it and kind of whether or not they're going to retain it and, and, and do anything with it. That's another thing. I don't know. But then you get other people who just, yeah, they just dismiss it and they think, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, you're just talking nonsense. It's conspiracy. And unfortunately, there are always going to be, there are going to be people like that who, until it kind of slaps them in the face, they're not going to, they're not going to um, believe it, um, but it's it's trying to reach as many of the people who who um, are reachable and convincing them um, that something needs to be done about it. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's about it's about maximizing the people that we can the the opinions that we can change. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I sometimes have this, I mean, really, my, my belief when it comes to this stuff is that I don't think that most people are ever going to get it. I actually think that it's always going to be a minority, but the, minor, the minority has to be proactive enough in their resistance to kind of like screw the thing up for everyone it's like we've got to be the spanner in the works but i think that yeah. it's going to be one spanner versus many like you know un unfortunately because obviously that's going to make it a more a more difficult task but i think that I, I kind of believe that the, um, I think it's called the Pareto principle with the 80, 20 thing. Like, yes, I think that's probably going to apply itself to this situation. Like most people are going to just be perfectly okay. And they're just going to, you know, kind of sleepwalk into CBDCs and all of the other stuff that's being pushed and, you know, net zero and everything. They'll just say, okay, whatever. Like, I'm sure my government's kind of figured it all out, but there's going to be a 20% of people that have to, you know, be 
kind of proactive enough in resisting it to to then you know break the whole thing because yeah. it, it kind of requires everyone right it's not like you can just be like okay you 20 percent over there like you know we'll just leave you alone like everyone's got to be brought into the system it's going to be a kind of you know a very unified one world system yeah i think you're right no it's going to be about the vocal minority and i think with most political things i think it kind of does work that way doesn't it you have a, a huge kind of um section of society in the middle who are kind of on the fence and they're not really that bothered they're just kind of living their lives and going about their day-to-day business and then you've got the people on either side who are very passionate about one way or another and it's it's always down to um which one of those you know which one of those sides can convince the most people in the middle to kind of vote their way isn't it um, I think that yeah. I agree completely. I think that's going to be the case here. Um, you know, obviously there's the argument of whether or not this stuff is going to be railroaded through, regardless of how people vote and what people vote for. That's a that's kind of another. Um, well, it is, another, isn't it? Yeah, that's another thing, isn't it? But yeah, we've just seen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw Rishi Sunak. He he did a speech recently. I can't. I don't even know where it was. I mean, like they're all, all always doing various conferences with just a bunch of like you know evil fuckers and he, he did something about um he's he basically was just saying yeah we're gonna do cbdc's and it's gonna you know we're gonna do this yeah. and that it's like did anyone vote for this i mean no nobody voted for him let alone let alone these totalitarian <laughs> exactly, yeah. policies yeah and that's that's the thing isn't it that's that i mean if anything that's happened you know in the, the uk political sphere um has shown us anything over the last six months it's how little power um the prime minister or whatever actually actually really holds against all these kind of agendas. I mean, you had like uh, Liz Truss come in briefly, didn't you, and try and like whether or not it was genuine or not, you know, um, try and push back and put in some policies that were or the, almost at odds with what they were trying to do with the kind of wider narrative. And within thirty days, she's gone. Um, you know, right. it's it's whether it's it's um, it, it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Are these people actually, you know? Are these people actually, you know, that, we, that voting power? Does it actually make any difference? So are we just voting for a, a figurehead, effectively? That kind of puts a face on the front of what a, you know, what is a, effectively a, a deep state machine that's working in the background. And is all this stuff just going <laughs> to be pushed through whoever we vote for? And a lot, of, a lot of the time, it does feel like that's the that, that's the kind of world that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's. That's the the thing that I think has become really clear. Like I think it's almost undeniable at this point that you know it yeah. doesn't matter who you put there, the agenda is going to stay exactly the same. And you know I don't know because you know you've probably got a better idea than me of how many people have a natural instinct to be against this stuff. You know against like the the whole um, this whole agenda. Um, you know I don't I don't know how many people that, that there are, but I imagine that it's at least a large enough minority, if not a majority, um, to actually that you would expect that under a democratic system i mean i'm not a huge advocate advocate for for democracy anyway i think that democracy has like a huge amount of flaws inherently but if you accept that it works to some degree you would never get these people um advocating for these things or it would at least happen way way slower maybe they'd be you know talking about it um you know talking about in parliament here and there and it would happen over time but it's almost just like overnight you wake up you know and all of a sudden it's like yeah cbdc's we're doing this and we're doing that and you know i think you've you've probably heard about this thing recently where they want to trial doing essentially kind of climate lockdowns which we'd been saying was going to happen for ages and we were called kooks and now they're trying it in uh, i think it was i don't know if it's somewhere around oxford or something and they're saying yeah oxford they're saying oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna just lock you in oh in cambridge yeah, Oxford. Well, it starts with Oxford, um, and they're, they're effectively what they're doing is they're dividing this, this kind of wider city area into different districts. It's almost like ludicrous. It's almost like something out of the Hunger Games. They're dividing it into these different districts that you're not allowed to leave um, more than a um, hundred times in a year, 
So if you have a car, um, you can't visit, you know, if you, you've got a family member or whatever in a neighbouring district. You can only leave your district by, by car and go into one of the neighbouring districts on 100 occasions a, a year. So what do you do if you have a job in <laughs> in a different district? You know, you have to, effectively you're being forced into a situation where you either um, don't, take the UBI, <laughs> don't go. Right? Or, yeah, or, yeah, you take the yeah. UBI and do what the government says. I think You take the UBI or get the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's almost like they basically just want people now. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to push people so hard uh, and so far that everyone's just going to be like, okay, well, I'll just take the UBI. I'll just take the UBI then. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. You take the UBI yeah. and now you can't do any of the things you previously could and you have no freedoms. And basically it's like China. Um, yeah. That's going to be the dichotomy a lot of people end up facing, right? I think so. Yeah. I think there's, there's, I see it as there being, there's two, two kind of, um, sides of the, the agenda with this thing here. They're trying to stop people owning cars. They, you know, the World Economic Forum and the, the, the kind of globalists, they hate private car ownership, um, and private travel for, for kind of us plebs. I mean, it's fine for them to fly around in private jets and be chauffeur driven around in limos or whatever. But for us, we must not have <laughs> private cars and, and fly. So there's that side of it. And also, yeah, I agree. I think it's trying to get people to stay um, at home. It's trying, it's, it's almost like this, they're trying to create this world, aren't they? Where everything's virtual, everything, you know, we've got, you know, uh, virtual reality is is becoming a big thing, isn't it? It's, it's almost like they want everyone to kind of live in their little micro homes, plugged into a computer with a VR headset on, taking the UBI and not using any of the the kind of resources that are going to be saved um, for the the elites, and, and they're going to you know live this fantasy life where they kind of continue to fly around the world in private jets and do whatever they want and eat steaks and stuff. Well, you know, everyone else is sat at home eating, eating insects <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean it's yeah. it, it's actually wild but it's it's strange that you have this if you wrote this into a sci-fi movie i mean i know we've had sci-fi movies that are kind of similar but this almost beats all of them it's almost yeah. crazier than all of them it and is. this is actually it's, real life how, yeah. how do you get so many billionaire psychopaths to align on this maybe, maybe this is something that yeah. you've uncovered through through kind of research <laughs> these guys <laughs> I don't know. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I guess it's it's like with anything in life, isn't it? I think people kind of it's like birds of a feather flock together, don't they? I think um, people have a, a way. It's almost like we have a natural way of seeking out and finding and connecting with other people that are like us. And I guess that's just what's happened over a, a long period of time. These guys have have kind of all <laughs> found each other, and um, and and now they're you know trying to implement this this kind of new world order on us. I think um, is it's something that seems to have happens i mean it's uh, you, there are lots of different theories aren't there around you know who these people are and what their you know what their origins are and all that kind of thing but it's it's very much happened over the last 100 years i think it's it's very it's it's something that's kind of tied in with the 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 last industrial revolution and, and the um the kind of computer age you've kind of got this almost like this new wave of billionaires People like Bill Gates, who have kind of, it's almost like they've amassed these fortunes and they've kind of used the capitalist system to kind of go from kind of zero to kind of people that are controlling the planet. And they want to now pull the ladder up to stop anyone else yes. kind of challenging them. That's what it's, it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. It is like that, right? Like it's, it's like they've, they've kind of come to this level of power where yeah. they don't want to lose it. And I think that, yeah. you know, cause here's where I am on my, um, kind of journey down this rabbit hole. I, I think that ultimately everything comes down to, to incentives. Like I think that at the core of this, there seems to be something corrupting in particular about 
kind of becoming a billionaire, but also it's like they've gone through these various processes. And I think like fiat money has a lot to do with it and the way that kind of banking works. These people have found a way to kind of rent seek from the rest of the world and they don't ever want to give that that up. They're kind of like vampires now. They've kind of got their teeth yeah. in the global economy. And the only way to keep that going because we're in this kind of crazy debt cycle is to basically now become totalitarian. It's now to say, okay, like the only way to keep hold of this because the debt bubble is going to burst. The only way yeah. we can keep our power and not have our heads roll is that we've got to bring in this and that. And we've essentially got to, you know, have everyone under this totalitarian system where if they say the wrong thing, if they try to resist us, they try to resist our power, we can just shut them off, right? It's like kind of weaponizing the entire monetary system against them. That's where I am, yeah. right? But I also, you know, I, I listen to to people like um, James Dellingpole and stuff. And, yeah, you know, he, he's like, He's like really out there on, on like the, they're all, you know, de devil worshiping, like antichrist yes. figures. And yeah. this is, you know, and you've got people who say it's like the revelation coming true and stuff. Yeah. I'm not there yet, but I can kind yeah. of see it. Like, yeah. I, I wonder where you, where you are between those, or maybe, maybe you're, you're yeah. outside of those boundaries, but yeah, where are you on that kind of, on that, on that journey down the no, road? I think I'm a simpler guy. I think, you know, I, I'm very much of the opinion that it's all like with most things in life, it's all about money and power. You know, we are, you know, uh, human nature, <laughs> you know, is, it, it dictates it, doesn't it? We, we're all trying to, we're all trying to be the, the, the kind of strongest uh, in the jungle, the kind of like the mm -hmm. fittest and we're, we're trying to survive. And I think for me, yeah, it comes, I, I think, I don't think there's, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, into all the kind of like um, satanic hand gestures and all that kind of stuff that people talk about. I don't really get that kind of side of it. I just, I just think it's quite simple. I think it's about money and power and people trying to, um, trying to lock in control over, over the world financial system and over um, the, the it, I say a lot is it always, it all comes back to resources. You know, you've got these guys who were in power and they're obsessed with this. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Malthusian theory where they have this yes. obsession that as the population grows and the resources reduce, we're very quickly going to run out of resources. And it's, to me, it's just, it's these guys that are obsessed with this idea that we're, we're grossly overpopulated. And we're going to run out of resources. They're trying to keep our hands off of the resources, whatever they are, whether it's fuels, whether it's food. Um, they're trying to put us in a box so they can continue to live the lifestyle that they live now, continue to kind of control um, the financial system and they can kind of carry on where we're kind of all um, enslaved yeah. effectively. I don't, uh, to me, that's what it's about. I don't think that I personally, my view, I don't think it'll ever change. I don't think there's any kind of, um, you know, satanic driving force yeah. behind it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, my I, view. I, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'm probably, I'm probably close, close to where you are in all of those theories. I mean, I, I do think, like, I do see some of this, this craziness, like this uh, Balenciaga stuff that came out. Yeah. They keep being proven right. The, you know, the, they keep being proven <laughs> right. The, the kind yeah. of super, super tinfoil hat wearing kind of yeah. you know, people on that, on that satanic thing. I, I keep being like, nah, that's some bullshit. And then something yeah. else happens. I'm like, oh, you're yeah, at a point, right? But yeah. but yeah, I agree. Like, I, I don't know if you've read a book called The Sovereign Individual. Have you ever read it? I haven't actually, no. Okay, right. Like, so, so in this book, it kind of like goes back through the, essentially the history of like, um, how do I even describe it? It's, it's kind of like um, the battle over property rights in a way. So it's kind okay. of like talks about, you know, how... Um, people had kind of small farms and stuff and then you know they couldn't protect the farm so then you had people who came and took kind of rents from the people who had the farms to and then they said you know we'll act as your kind of like defensive force and then they grew into kind of like larger empires it kind of takes you right from the very beginning it actually starts at um basically like tribes and explains like how um 
tribes controlled their territory and you know controlled their their resources etc then it brings you right up to like the modern day and it actually pr- predicts a lot of stuff that's happened but one of the interesting um but one of the interesting part, parts of what the book does is it kind of really shows you how the incentives play out in terms of like particularly control over resources which is like the ultimate incentive for anything because if you have control over the resources you can get people to kind of rent from you everyone wants to everyone wants to own the stuff that other people have to rent this is a story this isn't like a new thing that suddenly you know people have dawned on it and be like oh yeah that's Mm. you know we want to we want to own the stuff and people have to rent from us this has been kind of like a struggle that's gone on gone on through like the whole of human history where people have wanted to own the stuff uh, you know starting with farmers with their crops and then start with people protecting those etc etc um you know and then you have kingdoms etc and uh, right up until now, and this is just the latest iteration, like we're in the digital age and now it's like people have seen this new tool, like essentially like digital totalitarianism is now a tool available. It was obvious someone was going to grab it. And, you know, so, so yeah, I, I kind of feel the same as you. And also like, I don't think it's very easy for people to organize under ideologies unless it's kind of like comes from a core um basis of human nature so like the idea of uniting everyone under like satanism or uniting a big group of people i just don't think that's realistic whereas uniting people under the idea that you're going to control the stuff everyone's going to rent from you and you're going to have eternal riches Mm. now that's something you can sell people on right yeah absolutely and it's such an important point i think it's something that a lot of people don't really understand about the world um, is that there are there are a class of people who just own everything. There's a, there's a very small percentage of the population who own most of the planet's wealth. Um, mo- it, it, interesting statistic: more than fifty percent of the wealth um, on the planet is stored in the offshore banking system, um, and that's, uh, all of that is owned by a very <laughs> small um, percentage of people. And it's it's it's, it's you know, people, people are so busy arguing amongst themselves, and because because they're directed to do so by the people that have all this immense wealth, they're, they're so busy arguing with you know other effectively working middle class people who earn a little bit more money with them. They say it's you know see it's being rich. You know, someone someone that you know works in a works in a supermarket and makes you know twenty thousand pounds a year or whatever thinks that someone who is a lawyer who earns a hundred thousand pounds a year they see them as this like really rich person and they're the enemy. But that you know they're they're, they're effectively um, the same you know in the eyes of someone that owns you know fifty percent of um, a town and they own skyscrapers and they have you know billions of billions of dollars in assets you know they're these people are all the same to them they're just they're in their eyes they're just peasants aren't they and yeah, it's yeah. that the the elites as they I suppose they like to see themselves. You know, kind of more like parasitical, really, aren't they? They are. They're very. They've been very clever in setting everyone else against each other and arguing amongst themselves. Where they kind of just sit back and, as you say, they own everything. You know, they own the they own the mm-hmm. big the office blocks and they own the you know the the, the huge um, <clears throat> huge amounts of assets that they own. And yeah. as you say, everyone else just just rents off them and they and they sit back and enjoy life. Totally, totally. Yeah. So just going back to um, the Liberty Forum for a second. So you started this organization. Who, who was it started with, by the way? Like, is it, is it your thing or is there a group of you involved? Yeah, so it's my thing. So I've, effectively, I've got a fair few volunteers now. We've got just under 100 volunteers from various places around the world who are kind of helping with different aspects of it. But it was, it, 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 bizarrely, it all um, it wasn't something I planned. Um, so it was something I, I kind of felt like I needed to do something. 
I wanted to push back in some way beyond just um, talking about it. And I tweeted, I think around about the um, end of July, beginning of August, I just put a tweet out saying, oh, hey, I'm thinking about doing this of something to kind of push back against the kind of um, the globalist agenda and the Great Reset and try and do something to, put, to kind of stop it. And the response was just so overwhelming, um, you know, uh, that I think I... I think it was something like 20,000 or 25,000 people liked it within a couple of days. Um, I just thought, wow, well, you know, <laughs> I've got, I kind of got to do something now. There's obviously so much support for this and so many people want something to be done. Um, that it was kind of like, it was impossible for me not to try and try and do it. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was how it started. It wasn't something that I kind of planned on doing. It was very much off the cuff. So uh, off the back of that, I went and set up um, a not-for-profit organization um, a couple of days later, started um, seeking out um, volunteers to kind of help do some of the, you know, do some of the promotion, some of the rollout. Um, we've got some, you know, some outside help doing, um, building a website and the kind of the, 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 the development of that kind of side of it to build a membership system. And, and it's, it's kind of gone from there really. Yeah. So, um, it was very much, it, it wasn't, it wasn't something I kind of sat back and strategized about for a long time. Um, and now it's, yeah, it's going to kind of continue to grow. I think we've got about 21,000 supporters on, on the, on the site now. And we've got members. It's bizarre. I mean, there's people that are registered from over 120 countries. I think last time we looked, and you know, I, I, I couldn't even name 120 countries off the top, <laughs> the top of my head. So it kind of just shows you just how much, how widespread the the concern is over what's happening. So that's kind of you know, where where it is at the moment. And the, the kind of goal is to try and keep pushing it out. Obviously, we're going to need a lot of support. Um, all over the world there are lots of ways in which i think we can do that we want to try and run billboard campaigns in different cities and try and reach people um off social media that's that's the kind of the crux of it really i was going to ask that yeah what's the what's the kind of main goal so is 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 the the aim to kind of try and try and get people to understand what we're up against who are not in the not already in the bubble essentially yeah that's that's the aim because obviously within our circles everyone fully understands you know the red pill as you say <laughs> they they yeah. everyone understands what the dangers are they understand you know um why digital id and central bank digital currencies are dangerous because they can lead into social credit systems um and and, and everyone's bought in everyone's against it and everyone kind of is is shouting about it online but the problem is it's only you know in the wider scope of planet earth that's a very small segment of people when you when you when you consider how many people are out there and, and the kind of wider world you know when you look at the entire user base of twitter it's only a very small percentage of the eight billion people on the planet so yeah. it's it's yeah so the, the the kind of goal of it is because uh, i think that's the only way that anything could realistically be done is if we can get enough people uh, in the wider world to sit back and say hang on a minute you know this i don't want this and and kind of join the kind of pushback because yeah. otherwise it's kind of futile isn't it unless we can reach those people and reach normal every you know everyday people you know you you kind of um man on the street you know but there's only so much you can do by shouting into the abyss on on twitter uh, on social media yeah totally so so have you had any kind of like big uh prominent backers or anything like that or is it kind of just generally stayed very grassroots 
It's stay very grassroots. So uh, we've tr- I've tried to avoid, like in terms from uh, terms of financial backing. I mean, it's kind of self funded, really. But in terms of funding it, I've tried to keep it to memberships. Like, um, so it kind of it avoids any kind of um, kind of political sway or anyone having kind of a um, an undue influence over what we're doing. Because I think the way I see it is, if it can be kind of it's almost like what Elon Musk is trying to do with <laughs> trying to do with Twitter and uh, charging is you know is eight dollars for for verified accounts. When you when you when you move a business model to being funded by lots of different users and the people are actually supporting it rather than ad- in their case advertisers, it kind of almost democratizes it, doesn't it? And it t- it removes the situation where some you know. A lot of not-for-profits have a have a challenge whereby they a lot of their funding comes from you know one or two sources, and then suddenly they have to kind of do what these people say, and they kind of it kind of shapes the action they take and shapes the the kind of the direction that they move in because obviously they're so beholden by you know this these kind of narrow funding sources that they need, need to keep <clears throat> you know they need to kind of keep them on side, and that's something I, I want to avoid. Um, so yeah. In terms of in terms of um, backers, it, I very much kept it just myself and members. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. So I saw that you were um, going to be talking as well at the Greater Reset event. I saw your name yes. on the on the website the other day. Are you doing that in in person or are you doing it remotely? No, I'm going to do it remotely. Um, as much as oh, I'd love to fly to Texas or Mexico, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah, do it yeah, remotely. Yeah, because I'm, I'm probably going to be there in person. So I was, oh, wow. I was wondering whether I might see you. Yeah. Oh no. I'm, oh, no well. I'm, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe next year. All right. Yeah. Where are you? Go- are you going to the Mexico or to the to the um, Texas? Yeah, probably going to go to the Mexico one because yeah. you know it's it's not. I can actually. Um, I don't even need to fly there. It's actually like quite close to where I live, so it's about wow. a ten-hour drive, which is long but for mexico it's not yeah it's not yeah. actually that bad and you can make yeah. a bit of a road trip of it so yeah my yeah. my plan is to go there but do you know much about what um derek bros is doing with the greater reset and stuff i think that he's doing some really cool stuff so i wonder like how much you've uh, spoken to him yeah i have spoken to him a bit obviously the, the so derek got, got in touch with me when i first um started the international liberty forum and um, invited me to speak at um their events uh, which was very kind of him i'm looking forward to being involved with it so yeah obviously that was the for me that was the first um i was aware of him and what they were doing i know they've been around for a few years now but yeah i i i think he i actually listened to the because you had him on i know you had him on your podcast i listened to the <laughs> the podcast oh, okay. um and so i obviously know a bit about his background and kind of uh, yeah from from listening to that but i think yes yeah, it's, it's, what they're doing is fantastic and it's it's very much something that i'm you know keen to try and support um yeah i think yeah. we've got a lot of similar views on on what's happening and and kind of trying to push back against it definitely yeah i, I really love the stuff that that he he's doing and you know i mean i actually when i had that po- podcast conversation with him like i I, di- I intended to talk to him about com- like loads of other stuff and i just didn't get through any of it because i just found kind of his his personal story so interesting and he's another great example of someone who has just really kind of like um taken everything that's happening in the world and just gone fuck it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do my thing to resist it and actually find meaning and purpose in this and i think that he's absolutely kind of like found his i think that he's found his his calling really with with all of this stuff and you know i don't know whether that's the case for you at this stage with with kind of what you're building it's probably a bit more in the earlier stage but maybe maybe you'll find as well like that this is this is your calling is to do the the liberty forum stuff 
Maybe, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's it's one of those things, isn't it? I find with most things in life, um, you know, I've always kind of um, I've I always like to say I've kind of fallen through life in a series of coincidences, and I, I don't I don't I've never really planned anything that I've done. You know, whether it was my business that I started ten years ago, um, or Liberty Forum, all of these things, they've never been things that I've kind of pre-planned. They're just things that I've fallen into, and they've kind of evolved and grown over time. So yeah, maybe maybe the Liberty Forum will be. Um, the same in that vein. Maybe it will balloon into something that kind of overtakes the other stuff that I do. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly very passionate about it, and I think it's very important. And there's um, obviously a lot of support out there. Um, so yeah, it could it could well be something that <laughs> becomes all encompassing, yeah. and I leave my I leave my day job behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and I think that what you say there about like um thing you know going through life I, I used to think that that was a that that wasn't the right way to live and now i'm very sure that yeah. it is right like yeah. i used to think that um you know you should be kind of very very uh like with everything you do like super intentional and be like no i want this i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna work every day for it i'm gonna you know uh get up at 6 a.m every morning and, and I'm, I'm just not convinced now that that's actually how like inspiration happens i kind of yeah. think that it's much uh, like now i'm a bit more kind of I guess like a bit more woo woo on the whole, on the whole idea. I think like if a good idea comes to you and you feel, and you feel yeah. a passion to do something in the, in the moment and it might, might, you know, it might start off like really small. Cause you know, like when I started this, this podcast, I, I literally, I had the thought and a week later I, I'd released the first episode. I, I just knew, and I didn't know where it was going to go. And I didn't even yeah. know that I would kind of fall in love with podcasting or, or, or enjoy it or, or anything like that. I just, I just kind of thought, I'm just going to do this. It feels, it feels right. And just kind yeah. of winged it. And then, you know, just went from there and, you know, so many kind of good opportunities have come from it, not just obviously the, like, the podcast itself and having like awesome conversations with, you know, like people who are doing cool stuff like yourself, but also just like beyond that as well like i've had loads of other experiences like in my in my private life that have kind of evolved off the back of that and yeah now i'm really convinced that the best way to go through life is actually to kind of not necessarily to be like absolutely honed in on something that might not necessarily be right for you but like to be kind of like open to you know kind of pulling on a thread of inspiration essentially yeah i think i i, I very much agree that's that's kind of how i like to to live my life i think you know I think the problem is if you're, there's nothing wrong with kind of working towards something and having kind of a broader goal and broader aims, but I kind of almost like to, to kind of go with the flow as it were on the, on the route to, to kind of reaching those aims because sometimes, you know, you go off on a tangent and you, you, you know, it's, 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 you find out something that you didn't even know existed or, you know, wouldn't have even occurred to you is the kind of the right thing for you. And, you know, I, yeah. so, I mean, if I, if I look back at when I started my, my, um, commercial finance business like at the time, um, I was actually running networking events in London. I was running business networking events. Um, and I was trying to, that was kind of the thing I was focused on. And that was, that, that was my kind of intention as it were. Um, and it was actually through people that I met at the events I was running and a, a random opportunity that came up that we, you know, ended up starting. Um, the commercial finance, the commercial finance business. And that, then that very quickly, something that was almost completely random um, and wasn't really pre-planned ended up being um, something that def- kind of defined my life for 10 years. So yeah, I'm very much, I'm very much a believer in kind of going with the flow and doing what feels right at the time. Um, even if it's not necessarily something that you kind of planned and aimed for um, because it's, you know, it can lead to amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also kind of like, allowing things to to evolve as well i think like when i 
a lot of people like before they they start something they're like okay like i need to be at a certain level before i even begin it's like i've got to yeah. i've got to have all of my ducks in a row before i do anything whereas actually i think that like starting something kind of before you're ready and it being like a bit shit in the beginning like it's fine like you can you can kind of like you yeah. can scale up like when you're when you're ready right like yeah exactly uh, maybe this is just me kind of like excusing myself for like this, <laughs> this location i'm still recording in now but yeah. like you know i'm hoping that over time like you know the production like quality and stuff is, is going to increase but like i'm really glad that i didn't wait for that i'm glad that i didn't wait to like have a studio and stuff and like the best microphone and everything to kind yeah. of be like okay now i'm ready to do it i think you gotta you gotta start when it feels right and then just kind of like flow with that Absolutely. I completely agree. I've always been a big believer in kind of jumping and then learning to fly on the way down. And it's like almost like, you know, the same as, you know, it's better for, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. Kind of all these kind of things yeah. that, you know, the same kind of vein, aren't they? I think you've got to just do stuff without giving it too much thought. Because when you, when you, when you think, overthink things and when you wait until you're, or you, you know, you try to wait until everything's a hundred percent right, you'll just never do it. Um, and yeah. it's better to be 51% sure and then just go for it than, than to try, you know, and, and, and do it quickly and make yeah. a kind of half-assed attempt and then, um, and then improve along the way than to kind of wait forever trying to be a hundred, hundred percent perfect and then never do it because that's, that's what most people do. Most people are, are too, are almost like paralyzed by the fear of everything you know, needing to be right before they try. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the biggest barrier. And also you risk the the actual motivation trailing off as well. Like if you don't yeah. if you don't strike when the iron's hot, like yeah. you might just be like, okay, you know, a week suddenly a few weeks passes by and then you're like, oh, do I do this? And you're like, mm, maybe I still could. And then a month goes by and yeah. then two months. And then before you know it, you're like, don't really feel that passion I had. Whereas if you if you start and especially yeah. if you kind of like set yourself a goal and you're like, I'm going to, you know, like for this, releasing the first episode, I was like, well, I've got to release a second. I can't just like, I yeah. can't just pack it in. You after can't one. leave it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I guess, and I guess for you, you know, with the, with the Liberty forum stuff, yeah. you know, you made that tweet. Once you've made the tweet, you were kind of holding yourself accountable to a degree. It's like, okay, well, I exactly. can't just check out now. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And it was that, that was a very, that was a perfect example of like just, uh, you know, ju take, jumping into it without really knowing what I was doing. You know, I went from putting out that tweet and then two days later, I'd registered a, registered a company, you know, a not-for-profit company and, um, and started putting into place all the, the, the kind of framework, um, to, to roll it out. You know, there wasn't any kind of planning. There wasn't any kind of period where I thought, right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down for a couple of weeks and, and kind of you know work out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. It was just very much, you know, the next day I, I kind of went about doing it. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's the yeah, best way yeah. to roll. That's you know, how I like to roll with most things really. Nice. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Um, all right, cool. Well, yeah, it's been like super awesome getting to know you and, uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for sharing everything about like what's going on with the Liberty Forum stuff. Let people know before we, uh, before you, um, sign this off, just let people know like where they can find you, where they can get involved with the, the Liberty Forum and all the rest of it. Um, and any other, you know, places that they can, they can catch your work. Um, and also if you could just like leave people with a part in message as well, that'd be great. Absolutely. So if you want to find me, the best place to find me, <clears throat> if you're on Twitter, um, that's where I spend most of my time on social media is, um, at Matt Gubber. Um, again, the Liberty Forum, you can find on Twitter at Liberty Forum HQ or the website is, um, thelibertyforum.org. So any of those, if you want to kind of get in, in touch with me or get in touch with the Liberty Forum, those are probably the best places to go. Um, um, passing message is very much, um, I, 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 <laughs> I would say if you want to do something in life, um, don't overthink it, do it. 
don't get worried about what other people are going to think um, because you know that that is the thing that will stop you being happy in your life. I think if you you're always going to be happier if you just jump in with both feet and and do stuff that you want to do and kind of screw what other people other people might think of you. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks.